0: to Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. This podcast is for those who are committed to thriving no matter where they are on that journey. And I say journey because thriving is not about achievement. It is not a destination. It's about engagement. It's about being energized by our life. My name is Bobby Kaler and I'm your host. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out, you may be mid-career, or you may be considering your next career. You might be an entrepreneur or a salesperson, or you may be that person who just feels like something's calling to you and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us so that when challenges show up, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing, because at the end of the day, it is all about providing hope, knowledge and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's dive in to today's episode. In today's episode, I wanna dive deeper into the just start theme. I think that this is a really important one to discuss because in having coached more than 3,000 people in my career, this is often a key stumbling block. And worse than that, it can stop us before we even begin. Here's the roadmap for today's episode. We'll start with the two key learnings that I had early in my life that really taught me that you really do need to just start. Then we'll talk about what I call public enemy number one when it comes to just starting. And that's the voice that tells us to just wait. I'll explore why this voice comes up and some strategies that you can use to control that voice and move forward. Finally, I'll discuss the seven ideas that I've used over the years to help me just start. I think there is a good chance that this, it's possible that this is wired into my DNA. I've had so many people say to me over the years, You're so willing to put yourself out there and take risks. And yet every time they say that, I look over my shoulder to see who they're talking to because I don't consider myself a risk taker. Let's be clear. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane unless there's a really, really good reason. I'm not going to go bungee jumping or ice climbing. So when someone says that I take risks, I have to ponder, what do they mean by that? And after hearing this for years and years, here's what I've come up with. I think that when someone says that to me, they mean that I'm willing to take action in the face of uncertainty, and I'm willing to take action and move into new territory. Now, they could also mean that I'm willing to take action and and risk looking stupid or falling or stumbling. And, And I've done plenty of that in my life. But here's the thing. Every time that I've looked stupid, or I've failed, or I've stumbled, I have learned something, and that new knowledge has moved me forward. I believe if I'm learning, I cannot be failing. I think Nelson Mandela perhaps said it best when he said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. I think that the notion of just start is worth exploring in some detail. I have coached thousands of people in my career, and those who are the most successful and the most fulfilled, are not those on the sidelines. They are in the game, whatever that game might be. They might be an athlete, a parent, a teacher, a salesperson, an entrepreneur, whatever. But they are truly putting themselves out there, getting muddy in the arena. And make no mistake, it is easier to be on the sidelines. It is easier to point out the errors of others. But you never have the chance of hearing the crowd chant your name When you're sitting in the bleachers. Before moving into ideas that you can use to move forward, I wanna stress that just start is not code for be reckless. If you are about to tackle something really new or it's a big challenge, it is fair to say that you might need to do some research or due diligence before jumping in. Those are actions. Learning is a way to start. What's important though is that we break down the steps that we're gonna take to learn or to do our research. We have to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to learn? How will I learn it? Is it doing research on the web? Is it talking to others? Is it reading articles? Whatever it is, but we wanna make sure that we write it down. The other piece that I think is really critical here is that we want to identify how much do I need to learn before I can start implementing. I always think about it this way. What's the minimum that I need to, to learn before I can start acting on it. Of course, that completely suits my learning style. And for others, they might want to know a little bit more than I do. But the important thing is to identify, when will I have enough information to act? If you're one of those people who likes to do a lot of research, and then you find that you never make it through the research phase, then that is a really critical question for you to answer. When will I have enough information to act? I've coached a lot of people in my career who fall into that bucket. They like to do a lot of research to the point where they sometimes find it hard to act. If that sounds like you, it's okay. We all have different strengths and we all have different learning styles. So if that sounds like you, here are two strategies that I've used in coaching that have worked and that you might want to try. Number one, I've had folks write down the following. I will have enough information to act when I can answer the following three to five questions. And then I have them write out, what are those three to five questions? And then what I do is I ask them to put that someplace where they can see it every single day, whether that's on the bathroom mirror, if it's on their computer, whatever, but someplace where they see it every single day. Now, what's important here is that they have to hold themselves accountable to that. You can't get to the end of your three to five questions and then say, well, I have 10 more, right? So sometimes what's helpful is to share this with someone that you trust and for them to kind of help you stay accountable. The other thing on this is we have to be truthful with ourselves. If we uncover more that we need to learn, that's fine, but are we uncovering it as a way to mask taking action? So the second thing that you can try, and I've used this a lot, probably more than the first one, but I've asked people the question, what is the absolute smallest step that you're comfortable taking. I was once uh, coaching someone. She was a loan officer at a credit union and she was phenomenal and she was great. She was super comfortable at having conversations with her members about some of the products. But there was one product in particular she never brought up, never, even when it would benefit the member. And so when we were talking about it, she just said, you know, I just, I just can't bring myself to bring it up. I'm just not comfortable. I don't know enough about it. So we talked about what, what information did she need to fill in, you know that type of stuff. And then I said, "Okay, I know that it seems scary and uncomfortable. And what is the absolute smallest step that you are comfortable taking?" After thinking about it for a minute, she said, "I could role play the conversation with a coworker." Perfect. We just need to move off of zero. From there, after she did the role play with her coworker, she then role played it with her manager. After doing that, she was then willing to try it with a member. That she knew pretty well and that she was very comfortable with. This is a process. It's a process to move us forward and towards action. The key here is to balance how much do I need to learn with when do I get in the game? We cannot learn how to play baseball only by learning about baseball or, or reading about baseball. We have to get out of the dugout. We have to get in the game. Well, to use my sister Nanette's words, you cannot get a hit unless the bat Leaves your shoulder. So, how can you just start? Here are some things to consider and to move you forward. Number one, just do something. If it's wrong, you will learn from it. And if you learn, you're moving forward. But nothing can happen unless we get off the bench. I learned this (laughs) painfully playing ball as a kid. I loved to play baseball. It was my passion. In the summertime, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd think, oh my goodness, maybe I can play baseball today. My idol was my sister, Nanette. She was amazing. She was the best ball player I've ever seen. And she went on to play semi-pro ball for many, many years. And she has a trophy case where she has so many trophies in it, you can't even, it's mind-boggling. When we were kids, everyone wanted to play like Nanette and I was no different. And of course, I'm her little sister, so I want to make her proud too. The problem that I encountered is I was so anxious to not strike out when I was up at the plate that I didn't swing the bat at all. Like never. So what happened? I struck out looking. That's the worst way to strike out. So luckily, after the first few times as at the plate, where the bat literally never left my shoulder, my sister Nanette came over to me and she said, you know, like, what's going on? And I told her, I was like, you know, I'm so afraid of making a mistake or swinging at a bad pitch. And I really, really, really want to get a base hit. And she looked at me and she pointed at the bat and she said, listen, you cannot get a hit if the bat never leaves your shoulder. You have to find the courage To swing at a pitch. And I've thought about that advice many times over the years. You cannot get a hit if the bat never leaves your shoulder. I've made it my mission in life to not strike out looking. I may strike out, I may hit a pop up, I may ground into a double play, I don't know, but I'm not gonna strike out looking. And I don't always get a hit when I swing the bat, but I always have a better chance at the base hit. If I swing the bat, than if it never leaves my shoulder. Another thing to consider don't worry about having the master plan or the grand vision. I mean, if you're one of those people and you've got that big vision, fantastic. But don't let the lack of a grand vision keep you from getting started. Sometimes we have to start in order for the vision to unfold. I call this the tree climbing principle, and here's why. As a kid, in addition to loving baseball, I was a champion tree climber. Now, to be perfectly transparent, that's a made-up title that I bestowed upon myself. But I never met a tree that I couldn't climb. My best friend, Harold, uh, was not. And because of the type of kid I was, I, of course, taunted him about that. But Harold and I, we had very different climbing methodologies. Harold would stand on the ground. And he'd look at the tree and he'd try to figure out from the ground the route he'd take to the top. Now, the problem is that since he couldn't really see the top of the tree, he couldn't see far enough to see the whole path. So he didn't get started. I, however, would look at the tree and I'd pick my first vantage point and plan, how do I get there? And then I'd start climbing. Once I got to that resting point, I'd look for the next spot and I'd plan my next few moves, and off I'd go. And I'd continue this until I got as high in the tree as I wanted to go. Now, this allowed me to make progress towards my goal, make it make it to the top, while affording me a better view of my next series of moves. I also did this way because I was afraid of heights, and if I looked at the top of the tree from the ground, I'd probably get scared and never start. So Harold always ridiculed my methodology because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't strategic, whatever that meant when you're climbing a tree. But of course, When I was sitting at the top of the tree and he was standing on the ground telling me that my methodology didn't make sense, I just pretended like I couldn't hear him. So whenever I'm working on a new idea or a project, or I'm struggling to get started, I remind myself of this experience and I ask myself, what's your very next step that will move you closer to your goal? Number three, if we're going to just start, and this is a big one, We have to manage the voice that tells you to just wait. Now, ironically, this voice is usually our own. I've watched this a lot over the years, and I have some theories. So where does that voice, the just wait voice, where does it come from? Sometimes I think it comes from the fear of failure or making a mistake. And trust me, I get this one. I am a recovering perfectionist, as many of you are as well. And here's how I've managed to overcome this. It is not a mistake if it leads to learning. The only true mistake to me is in action, because I cannot learn anything new if I'm not trying something new. When I first started keynote speaking back in 2002, I heard a professional speaker say once, your first 100 speeches are probably going to be awful you're going to make a lot of mistakes. In five years, you will go back and you will listen to them and you will cringe. And when I heard that, I thought, cool, let's get those 100 out of the way as quickly as I can. Let's make those mistakes. Let's learn from those mistakes. And when I go back and I listen to them, I cringe. I cringe a lot. I recently went back and watched a video of a keynote that I gave back in in 2005. When I gave the speech, it was like the best speech to that point in my career. I got a standing ovation. I had more than 50 people line up to talk to me when I left the stage. And they all had such good things to say, you know, oh, you're the greatest speaker I've ever heard, that my message really touched them. I even had people book me right there on the spot for future speeches. It was a good speech. Now, for whatever reason, I don't even know why, but I went back and I watched this keynote and I remembered this keynote in my mind as being this great moment for me. And then I watched the video and I cringed a lot. And then I smiled because the fact that I'm cringing now tells me that I can recognize where I've gotten better. I I think I'd be more concerned If I went back and I listened to something that I did 15 years ago and thought, yeah, I was the bomb, man. I couldn't possibly be any better than what I did then. I mean, have I learned nothing in the last 15 years that it would have advanced my skill? That's the day that would scare me. The day that I heard a performance of mine from years ago, maybe even a month ago, and I would think, boy, I haven't changed a bit. Because that to me would really mean I haven't grown a bit. So in my mind, bring on the cringing. I'm happy when I cringe because it simply means I've grown. I'm a huge fan of Roger Federer. Huge fan. And I think it was when he won his 20th Grand Slam title. The interview was alluding to the fact that he was getting older and for a tennis player, he was really old. And so the interviewer said to Roger, well, if you went back and had to play your former self, do you think you could win now? Do you think you'd have a chance? And, and I'll never forget it. Roger looked a little bemused. And then he said, well, I'd sure like to think I've learned something in the last 17 years that my former self didn't know. I loved that because it puts it in perspective. We're always growing. And something I saw years ago, was this and it helped me too with this particular one. Admitting a mistake today is simply another way of saying that I'm smarter today than I was yesterday. The fear of making a mistake can be paralyzing and it can truly lead us to do some curious and and counterproductive things. <laughs> Best example of this. When I was first learning how to cross-country ski, I was terrified of anything that even remotely Resembled a hill, and and, and to put this in context, a speed bump would have qualified as a hill for me back then. I will never forget this one hill, and it was a gently and barely sloping piece of ground. In fact, it was in an area of the Nordic Center that was called Stable Flats, Stable Flats. But I was seeing this as though it were Mount Everest or something. So anyway, this one day I'm out skiing this mammoth hill. And I picked up some speed and I got scared and I didn't want to fall because falling would have been a mistake. So my solution, (laughs) my solution was to intentionally fall so that I wouldn't fall by accident, which would have been a mistake. As I picked myself out of that snow bank and I reviewed my actions, I thought to myself, that must be one of the dumbest things you've ever done. You didn't want to make make a mistake and fall, so you chose to fall on purpose. By choosing to fall in that regard, I cut my learning short because had I just allowed the natural progression to happen, I would have either learned how to go down the hill and there was a slight turn at the bottom, and I mean slight, you know, so I would have learned from that or I would have had the sensation of, you know, actually falling and then. I could have learned, oh, okay, so what happened to my balance? What could I have done to correct that? But instead, I short-circuited my learning because I was afraid to fall. Another thing that makes us listen to the just-wait voice is that in order to get started with something new, we have to push a comfort zone. And let's face it, that can be scary. Think about it for a minute. If we are doing something new, then... By its very definition, we have to push a comfort zone. Our comfort zone is built on the things that we've done in the past, the successes that we've had in the past. New and in the past are inherently opposed. Here's how I reframe this My comfort zone is not about what I've done in the past in terms of particular and specific achievements or activities. My comfort zone is about what enabled me to earn the achievements or to do the activities. In other words, my comfort zone is built on my ability to learn. For example, going back to cross-country skiing, I now love cross-country skiing. I love it. it, it, it I'm recording this in June, and I can't wait for the snow to fall. Last year, I went out cross-country uh, skiing 96 times, and that wasn't enough. And I'm pretty decent at this point. I can do the expert runs with a minimum of crashing. But the first time I put on skis some 10 years ago or so, I was terrified. And then I reminded myself, it's true. I've never been on skis before. But I have been on ice skates. I have been on rollerblades. I've learned how to play baseball and basketball and volleyball and tennis. So apparently, I have the capacity to learn new sports. And this is just another new sport that I want to learn. So when I'm trying something new, I relate it to similar things that I've done in the past or similar things that have used some of the same skill sets and abilities. This allows me to extend my comfort zone to the point where it feels like, well, it's just a tiny step. And then it doesn't seem like it's such a big step or so scary. Now, a few minutes ago, I said that I could do the expert runs now with a minimum of crashing. And, and and that's true. But here's the thing. I still crash, especially when I'm attempting a new run that is steeper or longer than what I've done in the past. And actually, what usually trips me up, literally, is when the run is steeper and then for some reason there's a hard turn at the bottom. I, I don't know if I get freaked out by that or what, but this past year there's a run. It's called Roller Coaster, and, and it lives up to its name. And there's this one point where you go down, it's a super steep little patch, and then you literally make a left-hand turn. And that thing just throws me. And I I did it. I successfully completed it many times a season. But if I was going to fall, that's where I was going to fall, out skiing. And what my husband Rick reminds me of in those moments is that if you aren't falling now and again, then you probably aren't pushing yourself far enough. Now I have to say... He, he does wisely wait until I've managed to extricate myself from the snowbank before sharing that wisdom. But he's right. Falling is another way of saying that I'm pushing a comfort zone and I'm almost always learning from it. Another thing that makes us listen to the just wait voice is that we fear rejection. And this is another one. I get it. If we try something new, If we reach out to someone, if we put ourselves out there, the reality is that we might be rejected. We could be told no. There is no way around that. But here is a certainty no one can say yes unless we have the courage to try. I had this epiphany back in, boy, 2002, 2003, something like that. I was at a conference. And they were asking for people to submit their stories. And the book was going to be called Masters of Success. And I have a, well, as a child, I was diagnosed with really severe speech problems. And then I went on to become a professional speaker. I thought, well, hey, there's a good story. And what highlighted it for me was my mom's role in that because she never let me quit. She always encouraged me to keep going. In fact, at one point she said, never let someone else tell you what you can or cannot do. And I thought that would be a great story. And so I thought, I'm going to do it. So I left the conference and I wrote my story and I was all fired up about it. And I did nothing. And literally months passed, months. And finally, it was a Monday and I got an email and it was from this organization. And Masters of Success was published by Entrepreneur Press. And you know, that doubt in the back of my mind was saying, Entrepreneur Press, who are you? They probably won't like your story. They might say no. They might say no. So anyway, it's a Monday. And I get this email, and it's from Entrepreneur Press, and it says, hey, final call for stories, Friday's a deadline. And again, it was that voice, oh my gosh, they might say no. And then in this moment of absolute clarity, I thought, they might say no. But they sure, as the world spins, can't say yes unless I submit the story. So I sat down, I submitted the story, within 15 minutes, I got a yes. But I almost didn't try. So again, no one can say yes, unless we have the courage to try. Here's another thing that makes us, unfortunately, listen to the just wait voice. And this one, this one makes me sad. Well, they all make me sad, but this one really kind of touches me. We have been labeled by either ourselves or by others in the past, and we never question that label. For example, we tell ourselves things like, I'm just not very good at math, or I'm not a good athlete, or I'm not smart enough, whatever the label might be. I was once coaching a manager, and he said to me, he said, you know, I have just never been that great at communicating. And I was stunned because I actually thought that was one of his key strengths. And I said to him, are you kidding? What what makes you say that? And he said, well, you know, when I was in the eighth grade, my English teacher said that I sometimes had trouble expressing my thoughts. (laughs) And I just looked at him. And my next question was, how many years ago was that? And he said, well, about 30. And I remember asking him, in 30 years, are you telling me that you haven't learned anything about communication? And that is the very problem with the label. We accept it and we never question it. It's written in permanent marker. We need to question the labels that have been put upon us or that we have accepted as our own. The thing that we have to do is recognize the label and question it. Often the labels are put on us when we are kids or young adults, and the problem is that the labels stick, and they never get questioned or challenged. We accept them as truth. And that may have been true at one point in our life, but it doesn't mean that they are still true. So we have to become really good at spotting those and challenging them. Are they really true today? So given all of this, how do we move forward? Here are a few things that you can try. All of these things have worked for me at one point or another. And in coaching, I've seen other people use these same things. So listen to them, pick what's best for you. One, first thing. Ask yourself, what is one thing that you could do today? When I was sick, I got sick back in 2003, and I spent months in bed. It got to the point where I knew when I woke up every morning that, well, number one, I might not get up out of bed. And if I did, my energy was severely limited. So every morning when I woke up before getting out of bed, I would ask myself, if I can only do one thing today... What should that one thing be? And then, if I had the energy to get up out of bed, that's the one thing I did. And to this day, I continue that practice, even though I'm very healthy and, and, and well. But it was just a way to focus my attention. What's one thing? If I try to do 10, that gets overwhelming. And I might do 10, but if I start with what's one thing, it builds momentum. Two, and this is something I really believe. And I say this when I'm on the top of a roller coaster and on my skis, I say this to myself. Waiting gives the devil time. Our doubts love it when we give them time to take hold like so many weeds choking out the flowers in the garden. Act. Even if it's just to tell someone else, this is what I'm going to do. Do it. And tomorrow, do something new. Do something else. Three, to give myself momentum, I will end my day by writing out my one thing that I'll do the following day. That way, when I wake up, I'm excited because I've already decided what that one thing is going to be. It gives me momentum. Four, this might sound crazy, but it works. Build a stable of activities that you could take. No one is saying that you have to take them all. Here's why I use this. I brainstorm a whole bunch of things, everything I can possibly imagine that I could do towards whatever project or goal that I have. And I mean everything that I can think of. Don't judge it. Don't judge the ideas. Just write them down. And then you can always revisit the list and pull out the items that make sense and those that don't. And for me, anyway, there are always some things on the idea list that never get implemented. In fact, there are some things on that list that I go back and I look at and I think, I'm not even sure what I was thinking when I wrote that. But that's okay. The idea is to generate ideas for action and it's hard to generate ideas when we're judging them once we start judging it we're shutting down action so just write them out don't judge don't evaluate 5 find what fuels you and let that draw you forward is it a passion or a purpose is it some problem that angers you and you feel like it has to be solved is it is it a calling but f- whatever it is find what fuels you. Six, find someone else who is doing what you want to do, or they've already done it, and talk to them. Learn from them. Don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. What I have found is that people are usually happy to share. Ask them, hey, if you're starting over again, what what are some of the things that you wish you would have known when you were starting out? People typically are happy to share their experience. And if they're not, that's on them. Move on to the next person, but but don't feel like you have to do all of it for yourself. That's another way to build momentum. And finally, don't be afraid to reach out to others. This is closely related, but people want to help. Trust that. I hope that this episode will help you to just start and to keep moving forward. I'd love to hear from you what you found most valuable or what you would like to learn more about. I promise if you send me questions, I will answer them. The other thing I'd love to know is on this topic, maybe leave this in the comments below, but how do you just start? How do you keep moving forward? So if you found this podcast helpful, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a five-star review below. Also, if you know someone who could benefit from the podcast and the message that we are spreading, please tell them about it. Again, this has been the Unyielded Podcast, and I believe that thriving isn't a destination. It's a process, an evolution, where we are continuing to expand who we are. It's how we grow into who we were meant to be and how we become our very best selves. And I believe it's how we make the world a better place as well. My life's work is to change the world for the better, one life at a time. I hope that you help me do that by sharing the word.